Good morning, good morning, everybody. This is Juan Vitez at Wow AM, winning on Wednesdays. And today's guest, we have Louis Cano. Louis is a good friend of mine that I know for many, many years. He worked for IBM for many years, and uh, I am a geek and a nerd, as uh, people might not know this, but I am. I'm an undercover nerd and geek, and I'm always talking about technology. And when I got to meet uh, Louis, uh, I think it was at the United States Hispanic Chamber of Commerce many years ago, uh, I got a pleasure to know him. We talk shop all day long, and uh, and and he is here at the show. So welcome, Louis. How you doing, Louis? I'm doing great, Juan. Thanks for having me on your show. First, I want to say congrats, congratulations on your tremendous success with Wow. So I'm excited to be here today. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. Um, and tell us a little bit about Louis. I mean, I listen. I, I I always feel that I, every time I invite a guest into the show, I feel like they uh, I know you. It's like I have like a bias. I know you already. I, I have like a friend for many years. But let the public know who is Louis. Who's Louis to know? Tell us about you. Where where, 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 where where did it all start? Where did it all begin? Tell us the story. Where did it all start? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, Juan, it's um, it's a story that I've shared many times, and I've actually started sharing the story at a very young age because um, at the age of five, my father decided. My father's from Argentina, by the way. My mother's from El Salvador, so I am a son of immigrants in this country. And as much as my dad loved this country, he always loved the Latin culture. So at the age of around like I said, on at five, we decided to take a road trip from San Francisco all the way down to Panama. Let me tell you, that's a rough ride. And uh, once we got to Panama, it was interesting because now coming from the United States where everything is so different, now you get to see the world differently. For a five-year-old, this was a huge change, both negative and positive. But from that point on, I learned the values of really a family and the importance of being persistent because you know, being persistent means also that you got to learn how to adapt in a new world. And at the age of five, I had to tell the world, who is Louis Cuneo? You know, and, and how do you explain that when you're five-year-old? And I would watch my dad. My dad was great at networking. He would walk into a room. He could work the room. And I learned a great deal. But until I came back to the United States, it had been five years. So I came back. And um, at that point, I was in third grade. And now English is my second language. Even though I was born in the United States, I was very fluent in Spanish. My Spanish was so perfect that you would think I was Argentinian and not an American. So um, I learned a great deal on how to explain to American teachers. I know I am an American, except that I was raised in South America. And that in itself is an interesting story. But one of the things, by the time I was 14, I'll tell you one thing. I learned how to network. I learned how to adapt. I learned how to introduce myself and tell the world who I was. And you don't learn that in college. You don't learn that in networking. No, you don't. You're absolutely right. You don't. And I wish I, I always say they, they should have a course in uh, networking or school, like a, a class in networking. So, you know, I, you, go to, you bring a good point there. Yeah. Well, it's like this show, right? Tell us who you are. And I think that's, and I, and I do that with my kids today. So once in a while, I'll tell my kids, hey, it's not a pitch contest, but tell me who you are. And they go, oh, come on, dad. But it's a valuable lesson. So, you know, um, over the course of my you know, young age, I got into sports. So I liked motorsports. I got into motocross, then high-performance go-karts. And by the time I was 15, I had set my target that I wanted to be a one driver. That was my career path. Wow. And the next thing I know, I'm living in Argentina, and I'm already racing, already for Fiat. And uh, we have a massive earthquake. So I got to get back to the States. And here in the States, 
Formula One back in 1975 was not a big sport. You know, it was like, what is that, right? And um, so uh, over the years, I had to learn, and this was another, again, meeting expectations and disappointments. That, that was a rough one. You think, you know, when your heart is broken, that's a big deal? No, believe me. I had my, my, my target set on racing, and when that couldn't happen, I had to adapt. And that was another milestone. Wow, Louis, I know you all these years, and this is the first time I really got to know you, and I didn't know you were a racer, a Formula One racer. Wow. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I'll tell you something. One thing about racing is this: is that you gotta have when it when it's race day, you gotta clear your mind of all the noise. And that was such a valuable lesson because I'll tell you how that paid me years later. Um, being clear what you want to do, clear, and you know, just making sure that you in your mind you're solid because when you've got a lot of stuff going on and you're doing 80 miles an hour, a lot of mistakes can happen. So. Um, so I graduated from high school in the States, and uh, I decided that I'm not going to become a race car driver, and I pursued a career in political science with a goal to become an, an attorney. And so here I am walking through the hallway of the college, and I see this table. It says IBM, and I knew IBM was a typewriter company. And I see this thing, and I said, what is this? It goes to PC. We're looking for field technicians. And I said, really, how much do you pay? The salary was crazy. So I fill out the questionnaire. I get a call the next day and they say, you scored very high. How would you come and like to work at an IBM channel partner um, supporting PCs? And I go, what's entail? Well, you got to load this operating system called DOS. I mean, for those who don't know uh, operating system, this is one of the early operating systems on, on a personal computer. Oh, yeah. And uh, that launched my career. So from there, I decided to change my career go back to school, major in uh, business administration, got an MBA. And then I decided that um, I wanted to get into the field technology. This was now my new career path. This was my new Formula One. And during this next five years, I learned everything there was to not a, a computer, hardware, software, um, you know, just adding boards, taking things apart. And I'm horrible working on cars, but I could work on a PC. You know, it was one of those things I, I could spend hours. And uh, as a developer, I became to learn how to program in C++, basic, um, some of Fortran, some of the old languages, right? And, uh, and it gave me a chance to be able, another skill to talk about introductions, right? Tell me your narrative. How do you translate computer jargon, jargon into simple English? Not an easy thing to do. We would go in there and I see the technicians, well, ma'am, your motherboard is not working because your RAM might be fried and we got to check the, the, you know, the configuration. People go, what in the world are you talking about? <laughs> so I would walk in and say, well, you're having a system problem and I think it has something to do with your memory. Let me take it apart. Let me see if I can find the problem and we'll fix it. Same thing except translated. So, you know, what happens next one is really the, uh, the kind of the, uh, the fork in the road. Louis, I was gonna say I I could I could say, share the same sentiment. I I remember in the early '80s I used to have Nintendo. Remember the Nintendo? I was a gamer. I was always a gamer, and I used yeah. to had to blow the Nintendo tapes because it was you know stuff yeah. stuck in the, you know, sticking in there, just blow it out. You know, everybody blew the. Uh, I was a I, everybody did that. Yeah, it was a thing. You know, with talking about computers and talking about parts and all that stuff. Eh? you know, and, and 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 it's interesting because at that time the technology. You, I mean, you. 
bringing back DOS. I mean, come on. I mean, the struggle was real back then. I mean, DOS, you know, <laughs> people don't realize that, that you, you had to work in order to make a function that, that we, we do, we take for granted. It used to take yeah. discs, it used to take punch cards. I mean, uh, things yeah. to process. It used to take a lot of time information. In my, in my era, in my generation, uh, it used to take days to download movies. Now it's like streaming. It's like in seconds. Like it's amazing what how technology has moved and how everything has been quickly. You know, so people don't. I mean, in other words, you and I, even particularly you, because you you've been in the forefront of the of technology. You know, since the early beginnings, uh, you, you we don't take it for granted now. I mean, we things that things are seem like seamless. I'm like. Wow, we know that that takes a lot of computing power, a lot of processing, a lot of information, a lot of code. We know that it takes a lot of work to get that done to make something look so seamless, so easy. And I'm like always blown away how we, because we know, like we know how it works underneath the engines, you know. So when a mechanic knows how it works, we can appreciate it. It's like an artist, you know. Well, I'll, I'll tell you two things about that time frame. It, it, that's the. Um... Think of this as a time when it's King Arthur, right? This is the, the round table, the knights, you know, where this is a very young industry. And I am now in the center of this conversation in Silicon Valley. So I'm there with uh, Steve Jobs, Wozniak. I meet those guys. I get to once in a while, I'll see Gates. And I get to meet Michael Dell on a phone because Michael Dell back then, there were no clones of PCs. And there was already in the rumors that there was a an IBM knockoff in the works. And uh, but the, the pure thing about that time and space one is the fact that we were all trying to become titans in our own right, and that uh, we saw some of us move forward. We saw the uh, gates of the world. We saw Steve Jobs and, and of course Michael Dell with Dell Computers. These guys catapulted, and they taught us a lesson that you have to work hard. This stuff does not come easy. People believe that. Um, you have an idea for a product and you're a billionaire overnight. No, it does not. It means 80 hours a week, dealing with a lot of issues, things break down, and that still remains true today. But I want to tell you the fork in the road. Here's the fork in the road. So now I'm going to make a decision. I love programming. I love marketing. And in the center is technology. And I asked myself this one question, which career path do I want to take? I could become a developer and develop some really cool things. I'm very creative. I love stuff. I can do a lot. Or I can become a change agent in the world and get it, work for companies, market products. And there was this trade show called Condex in 1985 in Las Vegas. I heard of that. You would have thought I was at the largest rock concert in the world. I walk in. I'm like, whoa. Now I'm going to name a few companies that don't exist anymore. WordStar, WordPerfect. These were back in the word processors of their time. Corel. <laughs> Corel. Corel. Um, uh, it's just, it's just, I mean, all these companies, uh, semantics. I mean, think about semantics back then, the antivirus. I walked in. Yeah, I walked in one, and I'll tell you something. The decision was made for me right then and there. I walked for a whole week. I was in Vegas and never stopped from eight to eight, going from booth to booth, meeting people and going, this is the place I want to go. Was Netscape around that time or no? Yes. Yes. Netscape Netscape Netscape? was the one before, (laughs) it was was before we know um, 
it was the first um, browser, right? Yeah, yeah. AOL. So think of this way. There was no internet, so it's AOL. We had modems. Yeah, this monopoly. was they had, they had almost like a monopoly at one point. Yeah. So, so you know, over a period of 10 years, the industry changes radically year to year. So just when you're the big dog this year, the next year is another big dog in the room. And think of this now, what I'm about to tell you. Between 1984 and 1988, Microsoft was known for one thing, one product called DOS, which stands for Disk Operating System, for those who do not know what DOS stands for. And it also stands for the struggle was real. That's right. <laughs> but here's the piece I'm going to share with you. Watching Gates take on companies like WordStar, WordPerfect, these guys were the giants in word processing. One, two, three, Lotus one, two, three was the 800 pound gorilla in spreadsheet technology. You see a small company called Microsoft take on these huge guys and then become the market leaders. When I saw that, I said to myself, that's who I want to be one day. And that is that was the beginning of my journey. And from there, I still remain being a developer, which I'll tell you some more in a few minutes. But the narrative behind who I am, I am a geek at heart. I love this stuff. I breathe and eat it every day. I love bringing change. I like innovation. And I think technology is the future and it will always will be the future. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We embrace it. And, and I embraced it at a very early age. And uh, wow. I'm, I'm just blown away. I'm, I'm, I'm wow. So, <laughs> Thanks. so tell us about your development uh, as far as uh, you say you, you spoke about development. Yeah, so my career started um, in 1987. Uh, the United States at that point in time, we were now again uh, in the midst of a war and I had worked for a company that was, um, him and this, and this owner's company was doing prosthetics for soldiers. And of course, you may remember for those who may not know the series, but if you can always look it up on YouTube, call the $6 million man. And I thought to myself, what if we could build an arm? You know, we had the electronics already. It was just a question how to do it, right? So um, that was my first gig in programming was EPROMs. And electro these are chips that you program to do a function. And the first thing I had to learn how to do is how to be able to squeeze an egg without breaking it. And it was the most difficult thing because people that take for, you know, we think of programming as being X minus Y equals Z. Not really. It's everything. And when you program, the computer does exactly what the programmer says. You're going to squeeze at this angle. This how much um, pounds of pressure you're going to apply. There's a lot of math that goes behind it. And it's not English. It's another language within a language. A lot of math goes in. So I realized that when I used to write a line of code, it's not a line. It's really a thousand lines of code just to be able to raise a finger. It's a lot goes behind it. So I had an appreciation. For when we talk about games back then, remember Zelda, Nintendo, you were talking about Nintendo. Oh, yeah, remember Zelda. Those games were based on a basically what we call dot metric design. Remember dot metrics, little squares, the little dots? That was the fundamental basis behind games. Graphics were still at its infancy, right? We did not like today. Today's graphics are phenomenal, they're like movies. So, um, I started to learn programming and I thought to myself, this is amazing. So I kept programming as a side hobby for myself. What I really got into was then the, it was really the aspect of market development, how to create new products to bring change. So um, from 1987 through 1992, 
2002, I became uh, a developer and I developed a number of applications, uh, some for non-for-profits, others were for um, small businesses, um, and primarily teaching them how to use um, programs, for example, going back to one, two, three, how to create your, uh, we didn't have QuickBooks back then. So how do you create an accounting system with using the it, technology that's available back then? It was a lot, I learned a great deal and I learned a lot about customer service too, by the way. And I think at the very center of what I do, customer service is number one priority because that is your brand. If you're the type of guy that walks into a room and says, hey, I sold you the product, you're on your own, you know, sorry, can't help you. Nobody will ever do business with you again. But if somebody will call me and says, hey, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'll pick up the phone. And if they're within driving distance, I'll come to the office and say, let me see what you're doing wrong. Let me help you. And that is what built my personal brand in the industry, one because people sit there and say, this is someone you can count on because he does care about customers. That's right. And uh, I think uh, I recently saw a quote or something like that with Magic Johnson saying that the, you, you have to retain your customers now. It's, uh, and it's all about customer service to retain your customers, to keep your customers you have to keep good customer service, uh, and that's the, the only yeah. way to keep your customers. Um, you know, because at the end of the day, you you, you know, it's like not taking things for granted. You know, going back to what we were saying, not taking things for granted, and and sometimes you know when we have our customers, we we take our customers for granted because we just say, oh, we got them in you know in our pockets, so to speak, or they're they're in sack. But no, you always got to give that white glove service. You know, always go after. And I always tell people, always reach out, give them a call and say, how you doing? How, you know, so people don't expect that. I mean, I do that quite often with people. I call them out of the blue. And, and the best is like, I've gotten is like, you know, it's like, uh, like they're, they're always surprised because they always think that I want something, you know, but they're always pleasantly surprised that I'm calling to see how they're doing, you know, because that actually, you know, it, it makes them feel positive and, um, and, and, and at the end of the day, it's like you care. You're showing a little bit of, of love, so to speak, you know, and, and it goes a long way with your business. It does. It does. And I'll tell you how this how this pivots now. So now I am working for a Fortune 500 company in uh, Milpitas, California, which is part of Silicon Valley. The company is called Quantum, which is now the third largest hard drive manufacturer in the world. So you've got uh, Mike, um, you get um, Seagate was number one then it was IBM, and then it was us. And so we were a supplier to Apple for their um, hard drives for their Macintosh um, brand of line of computers. But I'm still, you know, um, you know, messing around with channel marketing. So I'm working with companies such as CompUSA, Egg, and you may remember these. Yeah, these were the big retailers, right? <laughs> I bought my computer so, from uh, Com uh, CompUSA. Remember Computer City? Oh, yeah. They were phenomenal. I mean, they were back then. Remember, they had Radio Shack. But these oh, were the yeah, companies yeah. back in that really created a culture of technology. I mean, they were really the, the foundation of, of who we are today as geeks, right? Well, oh, yeah. and um, so at this stage, you know, at this stage, um, you know, I love sports. Sports still remains the big part of me. And I, I am now playing semi-professional tennis and I sustain an injury. So I figured, well, that's it. I can't play for it until I get my shoulder fixed. And, um, and I decided, well, I'm going to see what else is there to do. Pick up golf. A friend of mine from Nicaragua says, come on. It's a great sport. I'm going, little white ball. Come on. How difficult can it be? Well, let me tell you, it is a brutal sport. It is unforgiving. It has no mercy. And it's you against the golf course. 
So we're playing a sister uh, golf course to Pebble Beach. It's called Spyglass in um, in Monterey. And I just had one of my worst rounds, 130 plus. And I'm sitting down with a glass of wine. And my friend Juan says to me, what do you think? And I said, there has to be a better way to play. Yeah, he goes, driving range, lessons. I said, no, I'm going to use technology. And he goes, you're out of your mind. I said, no, there's a way around this. And he goes, tell me what you're thinking. And I said, my problem is I cannot have a coach with me every single minute of when I'm playing golf. So therefore, it's not realistic. But I could have, a back then, we had no smartphone. So we've lived still on paper back then, okay? So I said, what if I could print out a booklet that told me, just for me, a personalized book, how to play this golf course based on my skill set? He said, that's impossible. I said, no, it's not. Because I was a programmer, now I could write my own application. And that was a creation of my first software application designed for golf. And I wrote this. um, It took into consideration uh, a number of different variables. So it was a database within this application that talked about me. What is my handicap? Uh, Which clubs do I struggle with? So it was like a complete survey. And um, they would save this information. And then I would type in the golf information. What happened now, I'm working with a company called Creative Labs back then. They were the first multimedia company in the marketplace. So I reached out to, I reached out to Microsoft and to Creative Labs. And I said, I have this idea of doing a first digital. This is 1994, by the way. First digital online golf application. And they said, what would it take? I said, I need to digitize a golf course. So I need a helicopter to take pictures. I need a model and I can do the rest. Within six months, Robert Kim and I developed the first application for amateur players that would take a golf course into consideration your handicap, your skill set, and tell you hole by hole as you're playing that fairway which club to use. I applied my own booklet and I shaved off 40 strokes off my game. And from that moment on, we knew we had a great idea. 90 days later, we sold the company to a Japanese company who came in who managed American golf. They saw our application right there on the spot. They gave us $100,000. And we only spent 90 days in this company. So that was my fastest turnaround venture ever. Wow. That's, wow. That's amazing. Um, And uh, does that company still exist? Or uh, did the technology exist? Or has it evolved? Or has it? uh... Well, I'll tell you what happened. So we sold the company. And so... um, we sold all rights with the code and everything. So I then joined IBM in 1997. I now relocate to New York. And it's been now a couple of years. I get a call from Japan. And uh, they had to call my house. My wife then back then gave them my number at IBM. And um, I get this gentleman uh, who speaks English very well. And he says, um, you may not know who I am. And I don't remember the gentleman's name at this stage. But he goes, um, I am now managing the software you develop. And we're having problems. I said, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. What's Did the code break? What happened? He goes, no, we don't understand your vision. We have built other versions of the application, but it doesn't do as well. We'd like to offer you a job to come back and join our company as uh, vice president of this technology. Oh, wow. And uh, we'll, we'll bring it back to California. Now, I'm with IBM. I had these dreams for IBM. And I said, I'd love to go back, but I will help you. I'll be a consultant. Going back again, customer service, right? I go back and I said, at night, I'll be glad to spend a few hours every night until 
you guys understand my vision. The company was around for another year until 1998. They eventually had to fold the operations. They never really understood because they were themselves were great golfers. So it, it required really a horrible golfer to understand the pain points of what this application could be for you. So that was the problem. They were great players, so they didn't get it. So for them, it didn't do wonders. But right. I'll say, we talk about, um, you know, who what makes me, I like data, by the way. And so one of the things that I learned back then is that the average golfer in 1997 would spend upwards of $2,000 in gadgets to improve the golf game. So this was a huge industry in the United States. Uh, I had a chance to then, you know, meet the folks from Ping, Callaway, and I still continue playing golf to this day. But it was a great way for me to realize I brought a change to the industry using technology. Wow, this is truly amazing. And um, and tell us a little bit more about um, all this that you've learned. I mean, developing software and now where you are now with your company with Q. Tell us about that now. Well, you know, things that when you work for IBM, you're very fortunate because you get to see now from the top of the hill what's really at the bottom of the valley. What does it look like? You get to see across and down who are your competitors, what's happening. And um, I got to tell you that between 2001 and 2010, the industry was moving so quickly, nobody could keep up with it. As a matter of fact, let me give you some milestones of example. Apple. Uh, introduced the iPhone, I believe it was in 2005. And so when you think about that point in time, you had these mavericks in the industry, such as BlackBerry. You may remember them, right? They were the technology of choice, encrypted mobile technology. Within a few years, BlackBerry's got knocked off by Apple. Apple once again comes into the mix as a technology leader, but it was not on, t- on computers. It was on a new device. They introduced now um, also um, iTunes. And now this is another great story I'm going to share with you. So in 1999, I'm approached by the founder of Virgin Records, Richard, and uh, he starts a company in Walnut Hill, California, that was a precursor to iTunes. What nobody understood was there was no money to be made in selling music. The money was going to be made from promoting other artists. And that's what iTunes figured out. And it was, and then it evolved to music streaming. And as a matter of fact, so you, here we have these Virgin Record gets knocked off by Apple, which is a non, it's a company, they're not really in the music industry, but they get into the music industry. Then Apple gets knocked off by Pandora. Again, another company that is not really in the music industry, but now they're just sharing music. Pandora gets knocked off by a new startup that was funded by Pepsi called Spotify. And what's interesting, it's all about vision and transformation. Today, one one advice I would give to anybody who's listening to your show, don't get complacent. Because if you get too comfortable in your shoes, you become obsolete. And nowadays, becoming obsolete is no longer weeks or months. It's days and hours. That's how quickly things become obsolete. So that's something that I embraced in my career. Every two years, I learned something new never became complacent. So in 2015, I approached IBM and I asked for a budget of $1 billion to start a new division focused on mobile because IBM is not not really in that space. Uh, Neither was Microsoft, neither was HP, neither was Dell. I I think about these are the 
computer leaders, the industry leaders, where none of them are in the space of mobile, with the exception of Apple, right? Apple has their own operating system, their iPhone. And, but Apple, think about this, they don't create their own mobile apps. Somebody else does. So if you look at the inventory of mobile apps out there, they're created by third-party companies. They're not created by Apple. I don't know where we hear the uh, acquisition of Google buys Android. And IBM does not take that seriously. And that became IBM's biggest downfall. So today, when we talk about technology, top two companies that come to mind is iPhone and Android phones. Where is IBM? Where's Microsoft? Where's HP? We're behind. So when I can't get the funding, I decide that I need to retire from IBM. It's been 20 years. I want to get in the mobile space. This is the future of tomorrow. And that's how I started Mojave. And that's the way you, your vision. And we're talking about your vision now. So it's really cool. Tell us about also um, uh, uh, Q. How did uh, from Mojave or well, tell, tell us about the name Mojave because it, it was interesting about the name and I want to go into the name of Q. And so tell us about the, the sure. Mojave, how they came about. Well, I'm a big Star Wars fan. So let me put that out there. So I love Star Wars. So I um, didn't, so I started doing research on names, right? So mobile this, mobile that. Everything we do with mobile has been taken up. Every domain, every name is registered. So it was like, God, this is a real challenge. So um, I have a notepad. I would think of a name and I would do a URL search. You know, see if the domain is available. You know the process. Now I returned from IBM just to come up with the name of Mojave. took me six months, by the way. So I am now watching a documentary on Star Wars. How did they come up with these planets, the name of these planets? You know, Darth Vader, what does it really mean? Luke Skywalker. And I, what was really cool about Lucas back then was that he brought in people that were in languages, linguistics, right? And they would combine a, a German with another language and they would create these names. And uh, so I'm sitting there, my daughter's in college, she's an English major, and I'm looking at the word Mojave, the desert. And, um, and so she looks up and she sees the videotape from the Lion King sitting on the shelf. She goes, you know, Dad, if you took Mojave, just slap an I in front of the E, it'd be pronounced Mojave. She goes, that has a really cool ring to it. And I said, that's the name. It is so unique. It does this. So that's, I've always been a big fan. You don't want to create a name that puts you in a box. I want it to be fluid. So if today Mojave is going to do apps, that's great. If tomorrow we're going to sell, you know, fast food delivery of food, that's great too. It's a flexible name. It doesn't put me into one box. It's like the word Uber. What does Uber really mean? Think about it. I, I'm sure it means something. But Uber could be anything, right? Uber Eats. And so that was our goal. Mojave Q. Mojave something else. I wanted to follow the, uh, the Google strategy. Q really became a personal experience. So um, one of the things that I struggle with as a corporate executive working with small businesses, we are great at preaching people how to run their business. We really are really good at it. But we don't give them the tools. We don't tell them how to do it. We just preach. We're like teachers, right? Every small business one depends on two things. Besides financing, it's data. Data is at the very center of your business is really what makes money for you. If you have a list of customers that trust you, we're going, we're going back to the trust thing, right? They trust you, you can market your brand. 
But if you have no names, then nobody knows you. So our first particle Q was all about let me cue you up. So it was kind of that play, let me Google you. We started just kind of, we were having fun. So think about this. I'm going to scan your QR code. And again, this is all play on words, right? Q, QR code, let me cue you up. It was a play on words. And I got to tell you, it has played dividends for us because people have fun with that name now. Uh, people from India would say, I love the word Majavi. It has a nice ringtone to it. Very unique name. I'm not competing against other companies called Mobile First, Mobile This. I stand on my own. So I think that when you think about a company, get creative. Push the boundaries. You know, even if it sounds crazy, try it. But one thing I will share with you, talk to other people who speak other languages. Make sure that name does not stand for something that is rude, crude, or inappropriate because there were some names that I like. I like Mojo. I like that name. But they said, no, that name is inappropriate. And I said, okay. And there was another name that in Asia means, you know, it's a foul language. I had no idea. So check with people. So that's how we came with the word Mojave and Q. What, and Q, again, what does Q stand for? Q? Q doesn't stand for anything. Q, it just means, let me cue you up. Like, you know, when you scan a car, you're going to talk to the next Wait. person. It's that whole idea. You know what? What I like about the I'm looking at your logo, and I know the listeners can't see the logo, but I like the U. It looks like a beaker glass, and it, it just yeah. reminds me of like a like a mad scientist. Just the <laughs> you know of the Q. So that's a, yeah K U E and the U is like it looks like a beaker glass. That's but it's kind of cool. I like it. It's kind of well, it has like a scientific feel to it. You know, it, it's a fun. It's a fun logo. You know, it's um. You know, I created the Mojave logo, and then my co-founder James Woods. Create, helped me create the, um, the, key, the logo for Kyo. And he designed this with another gentleman out of, I believe, it was Brooklyn, New York. So uh, they really deserve the credit for this. But Kyo really is all about uh, two things. It's about helping small businesses grow. It is a free app, so we do not charge for the app. We want to help companies grow. It is also a sustainable practice in the business. Let me share something with you, Juan, that it's going to really get you by some every year worldwide how many business cards do you think we produce globally what number do you think it is and get crazy with that number oh uh, that we make i uh, i mean i my, myself i get about i five thousand i would say okay so five to, uh, I'm, globally, I'm, a, I'm a network i'm a big i'm a power networker okay so globally how many cards do you think we produce worldwide oh I'm give a me a number billions i don't know billions i would say why one Okay, globally, 100 billion business cards per year. 100 billion business cards. That's a lot of business cards. 80, 800 billion in the landfills. So I'm working with Adobe in 2017 as I am now developing the, you know, the brand behind Mojave and Q. I am very fortunate to work with uh, Adobe. And I'm on a special project with Adobe. And the whole idea is to understand this issue about business cards. That was the whole project funded by Adobe and one other university. What they came to the conclusion is that in 2017, all applications that were available were not sustainable friendly. If anything, they were creating more demand for business cards and not less. So we decided to never scan a business card. We decided to leapfrog that whole mentality. We're going to create for that person a personalized QR code within the Q app. We're going to bring a level of sustainability. We in 2018, we had a goal of reducing through our audience up to 1 billion business cards by 2025. 
Now, our goal by 2030 is to bring that number up to 10 billion business cards we want to reduce. We want to have a, a real impact. Now, in the U.S., by the way, we produce close to 10 billion business cards. So we want to bring a 10% change um, by 2030. But our, you know, again, as a company, we are really focused on three things. The quality of our teams, lifestyle, so life and work balance, sustainability for our environment, and to help small businesses be able to grow and compete global marketplace. Because those are the things that are really important today. Everything else, it's secondary. But those for us are our value mission statements as a company. And for me personally, I got to tell you that when I founded the company, um, there were three things I told my co-founders. When we have an office, we are going to offer on-site um, childcare services for our employees so that when they want to have a break, they can go spend time with their kids. If uh, if their kids are not doing well, they got to stay home. The, now, this is 2018. This is before COVID, right? You can work from home. I don't need for you to come in every day. Uh, if you get a work only, 80% of the time, that's fine because work is not about being there. It's about trust. It's about getting things done. And uh, we also believe in the importance of value of between genders. Uh, we don't uh, entertain discrimination of any kind. People are entitled to an opinion as long as we're civil. But uh, for me, it's, it's equal uh, for any gender, any race. And uh, so that's the reason why today uh, our company is very um, protective of our employees, our clients, our data, everything. We really um, put a lot of value behind that. Wow, this uh, this has been truly amazing, uh, Louis. This is wow. Uh, I, I mean, I just wanted to say thank you. I mean, I, I thought I knew you, but I'm like, wow, I'm blown away. I mean, from Formula <laughs> racing to tennis, golf. I mean, I know we played golf before, and it's just amazing that, uh, you know, from your journey, it's just truly amazing. And thank I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your story today and and sharing, you know, what you have. But any final words for our listeners? Uh, that you would like to say any any final thoughts or final words yeah you know I, I will tell you is don't give up that's the phrase don't give up it doesn't matter whether it be academic sports um in your personal life and to have that work and life balance i know i'm not very good at it still so i'm trying um but don't give up persistence it's really what pays off um and and you do that and it doesn't matter what you do you will achieve your dreams right and i always say the consistency is key and you got to keep on doing it um and don't give up your dreams and goals and uh lewis thank you so much for the interview uh this has been truly great and uh, everybody oh lewis what's the best way to uh, reach you or, or get well how, how do people can you download the app can you tell us uh, how what what is the address sure. absolutely first and foremost um if you want to connect with me uh, last name is spelled c-u-n-e-o First name is Luis, L-U-I-S, and connect with me on LinkedIn. So I will accept your invite. Let Just let me know that you, uh, you heard this interview on the Well AM radio show, and I'll uh, definitely let Juan know uh, that he, the, the audience is listening. So thank you for that. Um, the app is called Q by Mojave. It is available on the apps in Google Play. It is strictly for smartphones and um And we work for with non-for-profit organizations. We work with corporate brands today. So... If you guys ever need a demo, learn more about the application, please let me know. And I do want to plug WOW because I am now working with 
Juan here, and I'm hoping his audience will start embracing the Q app in the, in the upcoming weeks. Uh, Juan. But uh, again, Juan, thank you oh, for yeah. this opportunity. It's been great. All right. Well, thank you, Louis. Thank you. You've been phenomenal. Thank you. And again, uh, and thank you guys and have a great morning, everybody. Thank you so much.